When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And I remember I asked Madonna's Kabbalah rabbi, I said, why does Madonna need Kabbalah? And he's like, imagine getting everything you always thought you wanted, and then you get it, and you still realize it doesn't fulfill you. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. When I first started my recovery 11 years ago, I struggled through the textbook-like material on the subject. I wanted to make the addiction and the recovery from it accessible and relatable to more people by telling it in an entertaining way. Well, I'm super excited to announce I've released my first book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. If I can help just one person find a solution or at least realize they're not broken or alone, then writing this has been worth it. You can pick up the book exclusively at Amazon or signed copy at secretlifenovel.com. And the best way to support our podcast is to subscribe and share. If you haven't left a review or rating on Apple Podcasts yet, please do. It'll help more people find our show. And if you want to be a guest, shoot me a note at secretlifepodcast at icloud.com. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know those deep, dark secrets we probably want to go to our grave with? Or those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing? Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest is Darren. Now, Darren, I have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. What is your secret? My secret is that I used to be a total work addict. My entire identity was defined by my success in the workplace, usually on a daily basis. Mm, wow. See, I have aspects of that, so I totally identify, but... When was that moment that you realized you were addicted to work? Well, I um, I, I had a mentor, uh, let's call him a sponsor, because that's really what he is, mm-hmm. who challenged me probably about, I would say, five years ago to go one year without working and without dating. And at the time, that seemed impossible, totally impossible to do. <laughs> Because, you know, my high and my whole identity was tied up in who I was in the workplace 
and at some and you know and another aspect who I was dating and I said mm. if you take those two things away then who am I and that was his challenge he goes exactly if you can find happiness fulfillment love for yourself without the two things that you rely on more than anything else to define who you are that is going to be a gift that will stand you in good stead for the rest of your life okay just you saying that right now is actually terrifying me even though no one has asked me to do that. <laughs> like the thought of not working for a year, which I actually did at my first year of withdrawal in, in the program, I didn't work. And it was really, really challenging. But I don't know, were you, were you going through anything? Or it was just like he decided to tell you in this moment, like you have to put it down. Well, here was here was the sort of catalyst for that. First of all, that's a totally normal reaction. I don't need to think that I was happy with it. I was like I was jumping up and down. With- <laughs> yeah, I was stepping into Valhalla. This is what I want. I don't want. I want to go into. Uh, I want to be in a place where I have to uh, really validate myself. And there's nobody that really wants to do that, honestly, um, yeah. right up front, unless you sort of hit a wall. And basically, the catalyst for that was. I had a job had just ended that I didn't like, didn't want to be at, uh, wasn't passionate about, but it was for a major studio. Mm-hmm. And here I was again in a place doing something primarily because it was a good thing to say when I was out in the world for other people. So it was all about sort of presenting an image. And he's like, well, what about you? What do you want? And um, I was like, well, I don't 100% know. He goes, well, that's the reason. The only way you're going to recalibrate is his philosophy is that if you take the things away that you have relied on to define yourself, then you are forced to look at your life in a way that is truly honest, vulnerable, and intimate, and potentially painful. And then you begin, begin to start to rebuild and understand what it is you truly love, what makes you know, sort of, you know, your blood rush with passion in a good way. Mm -hmm. And so that was the catalyst because I was at the same place. I, I would say almost for my entire career, I did everything because of prestige, money, appearance, uh, and you know, the same thing with dating as well. And that was problematic for you though. Were you were you one of, and I found myself doing this too, where you think you're going to, you want this thing, this prestigious thing, and then you get it and then you realize it's not enough. And then you strive for more. And were you doing that? Were always, you noticing always. that? Okay. Always, always anything like I, you know, I, there was a project that I'd created mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and my goal when I was creating it was to sell it. And here's the problem is I don't think I had any for me anyway, there was no consciousness really around what I was doing. I was sort of, it was programming, meaning, you know, the way I was programmed from my, and nobody did anything wrong, sort of my family, my culture, my society, everything is, you know, bigger, larger, more prestigious, more money. Those are the markers. And that was a very sort of unconscious behavior. And I would do it. And like you, I would feel either disappointed when I got what I thought what I wanted, or it was never fulfilling. I was like, Mm -hmm. there's a problem here. So like, I thought I wanted it, and then I get it. And then it's not something that I want or fulfilling. So the only way to do that, for me anyway, was to stop all that and get really clear about 
who I really am and what it is that is truly fulfilling for me and my sort of mission in the world for myself. I know those sounds like lofty ideas. So I had to strip all that away. And sometimes the only way to do that, thank God I was in a position where I could do that right, financially. Because, right. you know, I know a lot of people have families and have kids and can't do that. And even if it means, you know, for me, it also meant stripping down my life a little bit. Because, you know, there, were a lot, there was a lot of stuff that I brought in and had. A lot of materialization just, yes, stuff that yes, you, yeah. oh, right. Like, and yeah, you just like, got like, rid of it? Like, yeah, like stupid cars. I used to joke. I'll be honest about it. I used to. And again, this was part of sort of being conscious behavior. You know, I, I turned 40 and I got myself uh, a really nice convertible sports car because <laughs> the programming in society and me, the sucker, bought into it was like, that's going to sort of fulfill you at some level. I don't think it was ever fulfilling. Even the day that I got it, I actually... I always felt like a schmuck sitting in that car. And I sort of joked that the, the car in a way was sort of keeping me single because anybody that would see me in this car, any woman that would see me in this car would be horrified and not want to date me. You know, the kind of woman I'd want to be with. <laughs> I keep picturing woman... like a yellow Lamborghini. And I, nobody, if someone far. has that, if somebody has that car, I'm not saying anything about you, but I'm just picturing this like ridiculous color, this like room, room situation. No, it's exactly, it was exactly, it was exactly that. It, it wasn't far off. It was just a really nice dark chocolate brown, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> and it had a lovely leather interior, but you know, it really wasn't my passion. So meaning like the kind of woman I'd want to be with would be horrified by that. And the mm -hmm. kind of woman that I was attracting is not the woman I'd want to be with. So I was like, well, I, I was, you know, your unconscious behavior is so systemic, is so built into your actions. And, you know, the, precisely because it's unconscious, you don't realize what it is you're doing and why you're doing it. So the, his whole philosophy was, let's take, let's stop everything. So yeah. that we can sort of reassess, strip you down, and, just strip you yes. down, yeah, and and set and 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 so basically, yes, and it was tremendously anxiety-inducing to get back Ugh. to your question initially. That's it was the hardest thing I've ever done, but the greatest gift I've ever given myself. And I say this to friends of mine who are struggling. I was like, you can give yourself this gift. It's kind of like doing a PhD program. To get the PhD, you have to like sort of remove yourself from playtime um, and you have to do the work. And so I was like, I think this is a good investment to work on myself for a year in this way by stripping these things away. And then I can kind of have the rest of my life um, uh, heading in the right direction with obviously daily calibration, weekly, monthly, all that stuff. But so it was, you know, I saw it as a great investment when I put it in those, in those terms. Well, here's my other question for you. And I, I'm just curious in your background, you said that it was what society, how you grew up, that, you know, this success was always like measured. You had to measure. Was your parents like that? Did they work a lot? Did you, was it a learned behavior? You know, I think my parents in many ways uh, were incredibly sort of healthy and led a balanced life. You know, my father, uh, you know, he came from a very poor working class family. His, uh, you know, his grandparents were great grandparents were immigrants, mm -hmm. and you know he and he became a successful businessman. And so I sort of, you know, I I looked at him and I looked at the respect he got for the work that he did, and I was like, oh, I want to be like that. And 
you know, and I sort of, I remember I was about to go to university and I remember I stopped for a minute. I was like, how did I end up in this place? I was going to go to university to be a lawyer. And then I remember I stopped for one moment. I was like, why am I going to be a lawyer? I don't want to be a lawyer. And I realized I had some insight that was my parents, my culture, the society, you know, the messaging I was getting that was sort of pushing me in that direction. I was like, you know, I want to follow a sort of a more artistic life. So, but, you know, when you think about it, just think of all the programming we get on a daily basis, on oh, TV, on commercials. Horrible. You know, it's a constant, a constantly we're being told if we're taller, thinner, sexier, richer, more successful than somehow. Better skin, be- beautiful body, working out, these diet pills. I literally turned on the TV the other day, which I barely watch television anymore with a toddler. And I was watching these commercials and I was seeing it through his eyes. And I was like, I don't want my son to see this. I don't want him to like think French fries are going to make him feel better or that new Mercedes Benz. And it was like one after the other. So you know, totally, and that's why, and that's why today, when I see a single guy who was my age, who is my age, driving, you know, a convertible Porsche along Sunset Boulevard, and you know, wearing the designer sunglasses and the perfect shirt, and you know, he's got the perfect, I, you know, I have compassion for him. If that's what makes him happy, then who am I to, in any way, suggest that his life is wrong? I, you know, you never know the interior map of somebody's life. But I have compassion because I was doing all the things that society, culture, advertising, TV, movies, literature had told me was uh, the right way, but for somehow it wasn't filling, fulfilling. And that is really confusing. Imagine, you know, I remember I once had a story about um, uh, I was a TV news reporter mm-hmm. and I was a journalist. And for one story, I was interviewing uh, Madonna's Kabbalah rabbi. And I remember oh. I asked Madonna's Kabbalah rabbi, I said, why does Madonna need Kabbalah? You know, sort of this mystical Jewish approach to life. And he's like, imagine getting everything you always thought you wanted, and then you get it and you still realize it doesn't fulfill you. Because that is the biggest tragedy of all, because most people don't reach that, you know, these pre-programmed unconscious dreams. So I was like, wow. Um, and they probably now, now blame, wait, but they probably blame not reaching those dreams, why they're unhappy. But we're talking about someone that has everything at her fingertips and she was still unhappy. Exactly. Because if, you know, if, because really, you know, and I wish that kids were taught this um, and I wish, and I, I love what you said about your child that, you know, it's really about, you know, it takes time to sort of realize who you are, what you like, it's through experiences. And so, you know, in some programs, they call them top line behaviors, meaning Mm -hmm. things that really give you fulfillment. And nobody really sort of, I know it seems elemental and basic, but nobody really goes through with you. Like, what are the things that give you joy, happiness, fulfillment, make you passionate, but have no um, material external benefit other than your personal fulfillment. And I really had to develop that because everything was external to me. It was all about the external stuff. I mean, the basic stuff, I'll give you a basic example. I had some friends over the other night on Monday night to my house. I had the best evening. This this is something, a top line behavior, something that gives me joy. I had two close friends that never met each other before. And we had a wonderful evening. I made some pizzas and we just had some drinks outside. And we talked about our lives. We were open. We were honest. We were vulnerable. We were silly. We were playful. And that night was way more fulfilling to me than 
selling a project, getting a promotion, making money, dating the perfect girl, you know, sort of the unconscious belief that I had about the perfect girl. So yeah, so it, it takes, you know, it's, it's, it's learning about really learning about yourself. Um, well, it's really I an love- investment in you. Totally. And I love that. And I just wanted to say, like, I feel like with men too, with women, we all know what society puts on women, you know, perfect appearance, all of that. But I don't think men talk about how hard society is on them. Absolutely. I mean, like, I believe me, I have a younger sister and I have a lot of compassion for her because she's a perfect mother. She's a perfect wife. She's the perfect employee. But even you use, but wait, wait, even you using the word perfect to describe her is what society puts on it. You're exactly that's what I'm saying. I worry about it because I, I have compassion because I know this, this yearning for quote unquote perfection is a tremendous pressure on her. And, you know, I sometimes, you know, when we discuss, I was like, you know, it's, you, you want to, I want to take that pressure off. So, and then the say, so I have a lot of compassion for women. And then, and, you know, sort of when I date and I have an open dialogue with somebody, you know, we talk about the pressures for men and the pressures for men. I thought my whole worth to another human being, to mm-hmm. anybody I met, specifically a romantic partner was, you know, how, you know, my, my job, my income, uh, what I could provide for them financially, materially. And the truth is, it has nothing to do with that, nothing. And so if you've made your whole life about that, and then you take that away, as you said earlier, oh, yeah, that is a scary thing. Because then you go like, well, who am I? Who am I? Yeah. Who am I in this world? How do you think that your workaholism and your obsession with more, more, more affected your dating life in the Oh past. my God, everything, everything. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it just, it just wasn't, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a one. I sort of said it was a priority, but it wasn't really a priority. So, I mean, and again, okay, this explain that, explain that to me, because probably the women want to hear that, what you just well, because said. Because I, I thought it was about like, I thought I wanted to get married and have kids I thought that in my head, it was like, oh, you know, I want to. So I did a lot of dating. But the truth is, you know, the dating had to sort of fit into my unconscious ideas of what uh, a dating should be and what a partner should be. So I used to focus on the external, not the internal. So meaning mm. that, you know, what the woman looked like, uh, how intelligent she was, uh, how she would make me feel, uh, what people would think of me when I was with this woman. And I remember I was dating somebody, and this is really vulnerable and honest to admit, I dated somebody uh, who was, I'm going to sound like a complete asshole, but I dated somebody who was like, (laughs) you know, an Ivy League graduate who was beautiful and accomplished. And, you know, we'd finished the date and I talked about it to a friend and my friend says, she sounds like a nightmare. And I was like, why do you say that? Because, well, you told me she was really rude to you. And I didn't even see that because I was so focused on, you know, all the external stuff, how she looked, her education, you know, her family, you know, how she made me feel, how she would look. I didn't even like focus on, you know, is she a nice person? <laughs> wow. that, was, that was not, yeah, that's how unconscious, that's how totally unconscious I was. And so if you're not, and so what would happen is I'd get into a relationship with these people. And after about, you know, sort of three months, you know, sort of the honeymoon period, the love drug would wear yeah, off. The, that, and then that I'd, high and I'd, wears off. Yeah. And I'd be like, why am I no longer attractive to this person? Why do I no longer find them? Uh, why do I no longer want to be with them? Because the truth is I didn't really, I didn't really get to know them. I wasn't capable 
of uh, getting to really getting to know them. And the truth is, I wasn't that interested in really getting to know them. No, you. But it seems of, like it, even when you describe them, you just put like your filter over them, like what you wanted them to be. And then when that high wears off and that filter goes away, most of the time you go, I don't even like them as a person. Like, what am I so, doing? Was, exactly. <laughs> so it was very, it was totally confusing. I was like, you know, uh, three months ago, I, you know, she was the perfect person, but now, so what's going on here? So that's why I had to like remove everything to strip back. Cause the only way to sort of see these systemic, deeply embedded patterns was to like remove myself from them so I could slowly get start to get some sort of consciousness around that it was really humbling well he, well here's my other question for you did you keep going on these dates these three month relationships and then it did it hit you all of a sudden like wait a minute something must be wrong with me not wrong with these women yes oh I will absolutely I mean, here's here's listen I don't think I'll talk for myself you know, I, it's not because I'm an enlightened human being. It's not because I'm a, you know, I consider I'm a good human being, but Mm -hmm. it's not because I'm a great person that I took this, this challenge on. What happened is the old way of doing things no longer worked. So meaning that the job that I thought I wanted and it finished and was not fulfilling, the woman that I thought they want, I wanted that was not fulfilling, uh, <laughs> ended. And there I was back and I was 39 years old. And I'm like, I just, and the, the pain of going back and doing the same thing that I'd done for the last 39 years was too great not mm. to put pause. And cause I had to totally recalibrate. So I was willing to, I was like, I know what I've been doing for 39 years is not working. So I'm willing to take a risk. And the person that was my mentor, my sponsor in this area was somebody who I really respected. So I would say to anybody that uh, is looking to make a change and is using either a sponsor or a mentor, you know, I would ask yourself, does this sponsor mentor have what you want? And the answer was yes. My sponsor was somebody who was someone who had a successful family life, had a, you know, most importantly, had a successful spiritual life, was a happy, joyous human being who was of service to his community. And on top of that, he was a creative individual who was incredibly successful in his field. And he always used to say to me, Anthony, you can have everything. One, it's about knowing why you want it. And two, it's about doing it in a measured, balanced way. That's the challenge. That's the discipline. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Have a spiritual life have a material life, have a relationship. And I was only good at going two speeds, all in on dating, all in on making money, all in my career. I, I didn't even know what the word balance you, meant. Yeah, you had no idea what balance meant. But I do, I always like to hit, you know, these secrets that we keep from ourselves. And you kept this secret from yourself that you were a workaholic and it was an interfering with your romance and everything was tied together. So when it came to head, I always like to connect it to these seven deadly sins. So tell me what, you know, what they connect to. We got pride, greed, lust, gluttony, envy, anger, and sloth. Oh, Oh, I mean, if I'm being told all those things, I mean, I could go through, if you mention them, then I'll tell you how each one related to that. Pride. Pride. Pride was like, yeah, how do I, I took a job on a project I didn't want, wasn't interested in. This was, you know, before I made this big change because- it was, you know, as I said earlier, with a big studio 
And I knew if I was at a dinner party, this is how immature or unconscious I was or uh, so detached from my own sense of self. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all I cared about. So it was my pride, how I could present to others. And the same thing with dating as well. It mm-hmm. really wasn't, you know, who the human being was inside. It was like, you know, all how outside. did this person? Yeah. So that was pride and all that. What was the next one? Well, greed. I mean, greed. Yeah. Well, because <laughs> greed comes from a place of if you, you know, if if you think your only self worth was um, how much money you make, then um, there's never enough money you can make. If that's your self worth, then obviously the more money you have, the better you're going to feel about yourself. So. Yeah, it was total greed. So it's such a blessing now to not take jobs because I'm focused on the bottom line. I was like, is this fulfilling to me? Is this somebody I want to work with? Is this a project I'm passionate about? Is it sending out something, an important message I believe in into the world? In the past, none of those things came. Oh, none of them. And I, the same thing. Now, when I choose a job, I'm like, is this going to, do I really want to play this? Do I really want to spend my time away from my family for this? Mm -hmm. All those important questions. Am I, is it going to take me away from my spiritual journey? All those questions I ask myself, because I have been on set and sitting there and going, I don't want to be here. I don't even want to play this. And that was such a reality check for me. You know, it's such a sacrifice because, you know, I have a friend who's got a big series on one of the streaming networks and, you know, long story short, you know, he's not passionate about the project and to, to remove yourself from your life, to go off on location as you do for Mm -hmm. three, four months when you're not really passionate about the project and you're just looking at the, the bottom line, meaning how much you're getting paid per episode it's like ultimately, there's no amount of money for me. There's anyway. no amount of no money. Amount, there's no, no amount, amount. Of money away from your family. And your you friends. think they're like, oh, this amount of money. And you're like, yeah, I'm good there. I'll, I'll take that. But once you do it and you, you're like, wait a minute, this isn't fulfilling. Even though the paycheck is, is coming, it still doesn't, you can't, it really is so empty. And, I, and a part of me, and I'm going to say this and I'm going to probably kick myself later, but a part of me is jealous that it was felt easier before being kind of blind to your secret and that you could live in this like fantasy of what makes you happy. But once you open that door and really look at it and like you're, it's right in your face, you can't get around it anymore. Well, here's the thing that people should know is like, once you have sort of lifted the veil, you know, the proverbial veil there's, you know, on your life and what you're doing, there's really no going back. And I was saying this to somebody the other day, it's the same with dating or careers, like once you've done this kind of work, it's like the road becomes very narrow, meaning Mm -hmm. the kind of people you want to date, the kind of work you want to do, you're incredibly selective. And yes, there are days I wish I could just put the blinders on Mm -hmm. and just do it and deal with the consequences. Ah, They can't be that bad. I've forgotten how bad the consequences are when you're working, you know, as you know, all the hours you're up in the middle of the night, all the hours that God sends to fulfill this project. But it's not putting something good into the world or it's not fulfilling. That's why it can't be done for the money. And I know I have to, other people have to pay the bills. So there's, you know, there's there's a nuance there. But still, if that's the only reason you're doing it, you know, some people can take jobs because it's important for their family. I have a friend who is, you know, he's a spiritual guy mm-hmm. and he takes jobs because supports and fulfills, you know, his family, you know, his desire to have a family and supports his family and their dreams. And so, okay, that's, that's a, an, that's a great reason to do it. Yeah. But you can't take a job for your ego to fill you internally. 
that's the problem. But if you take a job, yeah, if you take a job because you provide for a family and you keep it at that and that's all it is, that is totally doable. It's when you're trying to do it for your ego and fulfilling how amazing you are, right? Well, here's here's the trick. I mean, the truth is like, if you're trying to do it for your, the ego can never be uh, satisfied. There's yeah. no amount of money. There's no amount of women. <laughs> there's no amount of prestige that can satisfy the ego. So it's kind of like a, it's a fool's errand to think that if you, you know, if you're doing it for that reason, it's never going to work. So that's why, you know, and I keep going back to what is it that's important to me? Who am I? Who do I want to be in the world? What are the things I find joyous? Like, for example, right now, um, you know, you and I were talking before, but you know, right now I'm uh, directing a music video with a friend of mine. He's just mm-hmm. written a song. And can I tell you something? It is so fulfilling. For years I've wanted to, I've done it in the past. For years I wanted to do this, but it's so fulfilling. And it's not about the money. It's not mm-hmm. about the, it's nothing to do with that. It's because I believe in the message of this song. And I believe I want to work with this person because I care about them and I want to help them get their art into the world. And that is so fulfilling. You know, it's like, um, the, the, it's like the money. The, well, you know, doing this really, for me is not like, this is of, for fun and for free. Like I'm- Of course. I, this has been more fulfilling than any series I've been in on any movie. I've been a star in anything. Like just a one-on-one conversation between two people about some real shit. And that is why I'm doing it. Yeah, and thank you. And of course I want to do this. Like, you know, the trick is- yeah, the trick is, you know, it's it's a hard pill to swallow in a way, but you know, the greatest joy that I've ever experienced is being of total service to mm-hmm. other people, right? To like helping, you know, I don't feel like I'm doing anything here. I'm just talking and I guess I like to talk, so it's my pleasure to do that. But you're it's like enjoying being total, it. <laughs> yeah, being being of total service to some that's where the joy is. And but the caveat there is. You know, before you have service to others, and it's why, you know, this mentor sponsor had me take a year off, is you've got to be of service to yourself. You've got to right. you know, have your house in order, take care of yourself, do self-care so that you feel fulfilled and you can show up for others. So that is the, that really is the joy in life is being of service to others. So, so now, you know, can I make, uh, can I make money so that I can on other things so that I can show up in artistic ways and of service to others? Um, so now it's, it's I, and the truth is I realized I couldn't work for corporations anymore unless it was on sort of my terms because, right. you know, corporations are all about the bottom line. There's no accounting really for, you know, the human being. And, um, and I just didn't work with who I am. I feel like I'm going to go off from a tangent, but sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. And my other question, I, I want to hit this question before you go, but what do you think the benefit of keeping this secret from yourself and who do you think it harmed? Well, the benefit was that, I mean, I, the reason I didn't look at it earlier is one, I didn't know. And yeah. two is once you then reveal this to yourself and you're willing to be honest about the secret, then you've got to deal with the not knowing part of it. And as you said, that anxiety of taking all that away, because in a way it was, you know, the dating women that were not right or taking jobs are not right to give myself validation was a way of, uh, minimizing, uh, minimizing the way I felt about myself. So, mm-hmm. so really once you strip that away, you then have to deal with these feelings, this lack of self-esteem. And so it was a benefit because it, 
made me feel esteemed for a moment. You know, the day I got the job, the first day, the second day, the first three months, the relationship, the day I got the paycheck made me feel good. But ultimately, it was barren. And then once you take that, that pain underneath that of the low self-esteem that one has to really dig into and then learn the tools and all the stuff is doable to give your self-esteem. Like, you know, there was a friend of mine recently and she just lost a job and I had such compassion for her because, you know, her whole self-esteem was, di- was tied to her job. work. Yeah. And I was like, I go, you know, I go, you know, you're not your job, right? You're an amazing human. If you never work again, you are an incredible human being from top to bottom. And I think people really need to hear that right now because so many people are losing their jobs and, you know, we can't work. And and I think it's important that people hear that, that you are not your job and you are not who you're with. And I think people know that intellectually. I mean, like there's people who are like, yeah, I hear that. But, and this was where I was at, you know, I was in the same place as this woman. She got it intellectually, but she still felt it. Meaning yeah. I don't have a job, therefore... I am I'm worthless. worthless. I can't go to a, you know, dinner party, go out with friends. I, you know, like, I was like, you, she knows it intellectually. That's why that year was to be able to sort of understand. Give yourself exp- that break. Ex- ex- you almost ex- like allowed yourself to like be like, I'm giving myself permission to take a year off. So. Well, it's not just that, but it's also experientially, meaning if I can experience fulfillment, joy, passion, happiness without any of those things, then I then I truly understand, not just on an intellectual level, that I'm not my job, I'm not my woman, because I've experienced what it's like to find happiness, joy, without any of those things. And once you've experienced that, then you know there's another way of living. Well, here's my last question for you. And this is this is the million-dollar question. If someone out there is going through the same thing you described you went through five years ago, what would be your advice to them? Well, my advice to them is, first of all, don't give up hope. This is a good thing, even though it feels like this is the worst thing that can ever happen. Like you're in hell. (laughs) Yes, you've lost a job you hate or a relationship you thought you wanted that wasn't fulfilling has ended. It wasn't your choice and you don't want it back, but you sort of want it back. So you think it's the worst thing that's ever going to happen to you. There's an old saying, you know, when, you know, when you're down, God's up to something. And so really, this is a great opportunity to be able to, to sort of clean the slate and to find joy, happiness in the rest of your life. If you take a little bit of time, it's kind of like going back to school to get a new skill set. And so programs, 12-step programs like DA um, really help people sort of recalibrate their passion in the workplace. And there's a, you know, there's a set of tools they'll help you. DA stands for Debt is Anonymous. And then uh, any, any sort of 12-step program, because it's not just learning how to do this stuff. It's also something, you know, it's your sanity around taking the wrong job, dating the wrong women is uh, defined on a daily basis. So any sort of system, meaning you ha- I have to work the tools of the program on mm-hmm. a daily basis because my default setting still in my system is work, 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 date, 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 not stop and analyze. And so I sometimes still now have to pray to give myself some time off. I was like, am I allowed to take a weekend off? Am I? And then, so I have to sort of get some conscious, like, yeah, Anthony, you have, you have enough money. You're, you're really taken care of. You worked hard this week. It's okay to do that. So I still, on a daily basis, I have to 
you know, sort of remind myself and I have to have people that support me on this journey. So it's not just learning it and then getting on with your life. It's really sort of it's a daily reprieve. Like you just you have to keep telling yourself. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your secret and, and being so vulnerable and open with us. Oh my God, it was my pleasure. And, you know, I feel so grateful that you're in my life and, you know, I so support what you're doing here. I think it's going to help a tremendous amount of people. And I've seen that, you know, the tremendous change in you and I respect you as a sister, as a fellow human being. And so mm-hmm. I'm really honored that you would think that I have anything to share that could help others. So if it did, then, you know, um, thank you. Well, thank you. If you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon.